Hello and welcome to Learning, Laughing, and Loving with your co-host Evan Money and yours truly, Scott Jones. This podcast is all you need. If you're looking to learn about the world, do it with a smile and to connect to the deeper mysteries of human life and the kind of connection everyone is looking to make. All right, everyone. Learning, laughing, loving. Evan Money, Scott Kent Jones. And we are going to jump right in because I got some exciting news. This is the guest that we've promised for the last couple weeks. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, he is here live with us. Well, sort of live, sort of with us in virtual form. But Aaron Walker. Aaron, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Hey, Evan. I've been pretty fired up for this, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I don't know. The live part is true. In person is not. So here we are virtually, but we're all fired up and alive. So let's do it. All right. And you're in you're in Nashville, right? Nashville, Tennessee. Born what a lovely, lovely here. town. Sixty years, six decades in Nashville, Tennessee. No Love comments it. about my accent either, okay? So I hear that all the time. And somebody says I've got an accent, but I don't believe it. No, I'm. I know. I know. I'm the one with the California accent, and uh, Scott's go. got the Philly accent. So we we've all got I our little that covered, man. I know we got our super dialect in Nashville here. <laughs> I feel like I grew up in Jersey, so I feel like English is a second language. Uh, I mean, my. Yeah. I mean, Jersey dialect is so weird. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to jump right into the deep end because Scott was transparent enough to come on beforehand and just say, hey, Ev, this isn't the most brightest day for me at this time. And I was like, oh, this is perfect for such a time as this because Aaron has got a story of all stories. And I'm going to jump right in to hook the listeners right away. So, Aaron, I want you to share you were in some pretty dark times and some interesting circumstances from the fact that someone you're driving down the street, someone jumps in front of your car, you run over them and kill them. And it's like, whoa, how do you process that? So just share with us real quick how you went from guilt to greatness and processing that like catastrophic, catastrophic event in your life. I give a little context around it. And so I started a business early, 18 years old, sold out at 27 went and bought a company I started with when I was uh, 30, 10 years, we grow it to four times the size it was. Things are amazing. My life was like utopia, big, beautiful home, vacation home, all the stuff. And uh, I had left our church seven 30 in the morning. We met every Wednesday morning at our church. Five of us did prayed for our families, prayed for our church, prayed for our staff. And I was on the way to the office There's a four lane major highway uh, that my business was on. And uh, there was a guy crossing the street in front of me to catch a local bus. And I saw it. I mean, I clearly saw him and ran across two lanes of traffic. There was two lanes going north, two lanes going south. And there was this bus parked on the right hand side of the road, not at a bus stop, just stopped in the middle of the road. And I assessed all this pretty quickly. And the guy got to the median and he stopped and he just hesitated his shoulders slumped. And I thought, well, he's waiting on me to pass. So I hit the gas again, sped up and all this happened in about three seconds, right? I mean, story's a lot longer, but it happened in about three seconds. Soon as I get to the guy, he takes off running as hard as he can to catch the bus. And, uh, the truth is, is he ran into the left front quarter panel of my SUV. I was driving a 2001 Lincoln Navigator, big red 
Lincoln Navigator. This was August 1st, 2001 when this happened. And I spun him around. He hit my mirror, spun him again. He hit the left quarter panel, fell face down. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I was shaking, Evan. I can't even tell you, buddy. I mean, I was like, this didn't really just happen. Mm. And finally, I grabbed my phone, my cell phone, and I'm shaking so hard. I mean, I couldn't dial the number. Literally, I, mm. I couldn't hit the pad. And finally put my left hand in my right hand and braced it enough to dial 911. And I didn't want to turn around. I mean, I didn't want to look. Mm. I did. Got out of the car. Cars were stopping everywhere. People jumping out. And there's this guy face down. Well, literally in you know, 30 seconds, there's police cars, ambulances, you know, coming from everywhere. And, um, I walk up and they took this guy and they put him on a gurney and I said, is he okay? And they said, he's conscience, uh, but he's got severe head trauma. And so they told me to get in the police car and I went over and got in the police car and, um, they went around and interviewed a lot of the people that had seen the accident and everybody attested, it wasn't his fault. I mean, this guy ran right out in front of him and the policeman came, got in the car, took all my information. The bus driver testified to the police. I mean, everybody was saying, Hey, this guy was at fault. Was this like a suicide attempt on this guy? No, no, no. this guy, his name was Enrique. Uh, They called me on Saturday morning at nine o'clock from Vanderbilt trauma unit. And they said, Mr. Walker. And I said, yes. And they said, this is Vanderbilt hospital. And, uh, I understand you were in an automobile accident with this person and you wanted to know, you know, how he was doing. And I hate to inform you that he passed away this morning at nine thirty. Mm. This was on a Saturday. Mm. And I went, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, like this is so surreal. And even in my book, uh, I wrote, uh, I wrote about it and I, I called it blindsided because that's exactly what happened. I was blindsided. My wife and children were in Florida at the time. They were on a missions trip in Florida. Our children were younger and uh, they came home. And of course, you know, a lot of people that are close friends of mine came to my home and, you know, and they just said, Hey man, what can we do? And, and I'm like, there's nothing to do. I mean, there's, there's nothing to do here. And so two weeks into that, I'm at the office. I go back to work. I'm in the office and a customer walks up to the counter and lays something on the counter and they quote a price they want to pay for it. We were in retail and, and I said, no. And I quoted the price back to them and they gave me some smart aleck remark. I don't even remember what it was, but I I reached over and picked it up and I threw it Hmm. and something snapped. I don't know what happened because that's not my demeanor. I'm a real fun loving guy. Something snapped and my partner walked by and the store got dead silent. I mean, people were everywhere in there and he said, big A, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. Hmm. And, uh, I said, I got to go home. So I went home and uh, the next day I called him and I said, Hey, we got to go to dinner. So we went to dinner and over dinner that night, uh, I retired. I said, I'm done. I was 40 years old. I said, I can't handle the pressure. This is getting to me. I've been chasing money since I was 18 years old. Uh, you know, I'm just going to retire. So I did, I retired and I took five years off. I didn't do anything for five years. And we traveled all over the world, uh, had counselors, coaches, I had people helping me work through this. And Evan, I don't know if you've been in a really dark spot like that before, but you don't get over that. God gives you the grace to deal with it. Mm. And that's what God did. He gave me the grace to learn how to deal with it. My wife came, woke me up one day and 
from a nap and she said, uh, hey, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> you got children, you're going to have grandchildren and you got to pick yourself up. And uh, I did. There was a lot more to the story, but I decided to pick myself up and move on. And we went in the construction business and had a very successful construction company out of that. But my mastermind group, Dave Ramsey invited me years ago. Dave and I've been friends almost 30 years. I was his second sponsor on his radio show. <laughs> Number two. Wow. Yeah. He gave me advertising to try him. And so I tried him, fell in love with what he was doing. And I spent 21 consecutive years sponsoring his show. And uh, out of that process, these guys helped walk me through that. I mean, they really circled around me. I needed to be in community. I needed help. I needed support. And these people just kind of walked me through that and helped me. So, yeah. And uh, I was able to kind of work through it and pick myself up and move on. And what that did was, here's what the lesson, here's the lesson for me. If I had been killed that day, my legacy would have been poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes enough money to retire at age 27 and nobody cares. Mm. And I said, golly, that's not what I want my legacy to be. I said, what I want my legacy to be is Scott and Evan's life is different as a result of having known me. Like I have encouraged them. I've helped them. I've pointed them in the right direction. And because of me, their life is better today. And so God allowed me to change my focus from inward to outward to look out and to serve other people. And so what we've done now is we've created an environment to where we're hugely successful financially, but we're equally successful significantly. And that's the piece that people have missed, Evans, is the significance. Mm. What we're training people to do today is you can do these things simultaneously. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both. And so what we do today in Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind is help people understand, hey, we'll teach you how to make money right? Making the money is the easy part. Mm -hmm. The difficult part is being significant in the lives of other people. But when you do that well, then you're going to have a well-rounded life and you're going to enjoy getting up each and every day. I mean, both things sound hard to me. I mean, significant sounds hard and making money sounds hard. I mean, so many people in, in this country are just struggling, right? I mean, struggling to make ends meet. I mean, it's just, I mean, life is seeming i mean pretty challenging in north america right now especially with covid right i mean this is i mean people are businesses are closing people i mean here you know in the northeast i mean establishments that have been open for decades and been yeah, sure. you know kind of kind of hallmarks of social life are gone and they're just done i mean is it i mean this is it all seems hard i mean it, it's all challenging isn't it yeah, I think it is. I think life is challenging within itself. It's not just this pandemic, but uh, life throws us curves and it makes us better as a result of it. And I promise you that we're dealing with a very difficult situation right now. And I have great amount of sympathy. I want to show a lot of empathy for these people that are losing their businesses because many of them are second and third generation businesses, Scott, to your point that are closing, but here's what's going to happen. It's going to create within us a desire and a grit and a determination to succeed because we're not quitters, right? We're a generation of people that want to excel. We want to live a very adventuresome life. This is a curve and it's really taken us by surprise. It's also at the same time, 
created an environment to where we ask, what does this make possible? Right. Used to, you know, back a hundred years ago, somebody would said, make a faster horse, but they said, no, we're going to invent a car. And they said, it's going to put everybody out of business. No, it's created so many more jobs, right? The industrial revolution has absolutely transformed the way we do things today. There's more money being generated and made today than ever in the history of mankind. And this is going to make us think differently. Yes, it hurts right now. We've stumped our toe, but I promise you, we're going to be a people that comes out of this and we're going to be more ingenious than ever before. And you wait and see at what transpires as a result of this pandemic. I, I appreciate that, Aaron, because I'm I'm usually one giving Scott the pep talks or giving America pep talks and talking about our uh, the upside and, and what's coming because for the show, so you understand, both Scott and I are on opposite sides of the aisle, and yet each show we realize how much we agree upon. But I, I want to touch on something uh, that you said earlier, and I think Scott was alluding to too, which, which stuck out to me. So here you are, and I appreciate you sharing. Like, you know, I I'm one of the guys that throws the book across the room when I hear people's stories. Like, yeah, I was in the dumps, and then overnight I turned it all around. So I really appreciate this, you know, this five year right processing and journey. It wasn't this overnight, but to me, you said something's interesting. You're five years into this this dark place, and then your bride and wife comes in and's like, hey. You know, and you say, and I say, this isn't what I signed up for. So how did you keep from that moment spiraling even more? Because I think yeah. there's so many people listening that are like, oh, I went from bad to worse, right? Like things were great and then COVID hit and I went from bad to worse. So how did you keep from that spiral of like, man, I've been five years in this dark place. Now my wife is like, hey, bud, put it together. I'm out. Um, how did you, how did that work for you? How did you turn that well, yeah, there's two incidents that happened. That's one of them. I'll tell you the other one in a minute. But the first one is, is Robin and I got married two weeks out of high school. So we've been married 40 years, right? So we're not newbies. And I knew that when she woke me up from that nap, I'd gained 50 pounds. And uh, she knew that I was wasting Whoa. my life. And she got in my face and she said, hey, this is not you. And it's time for you to pick yourself up, shake yourself off and let's move on. And I knew she loved me. I knew it was coming from a compassion. It wasn't coming from a threatening. I know you were teasing, but it wasn't coming from, hey, do this or I'm out of here. It's like, hey, now you get up. Let's move on because this is not you. I was at Ace Hardware during this time. And it was on a Saturday morning. And I was in the mastermind. And a guy named James Rowell, you may have heard of James. He was a very notorious speaker. He was with Promise Keepers for years, traveled all over the world. Best storyteller I've ever heard. And uh, he calls me. He was in our mastermind group. And he calls me. And I look at my phone. And it's on a Saturday. And James Ryle came up. And I went, uh-oh, this is going to be really good or really bad. I don't know which because we don't bother each other on the weekends. We reserve that for our families. So I answered the phone. And he said, hey, Big A. And I said, yeah, James. He said, you got a minute. I said, sure, hold on, let me go outside. So I went outside. I live just north of Nashville in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I walked outside in the parking lot and I said, yeah, James, what is it? He said, bro, I just got to tell you something. I said, okay, I, what is it? He said, you're wearing the hell out of everybody in our group. And I just went, <laughs> it's hard. And see, I did like you did. I started laughing. I said, what, what are you saying? He said, man, you're in this pit and you just talk about it every Wednesday morning over and over, just ad nauseum. You just keep talking about it. And he said, this morning I was praying for you. 
And I said, man, I appreciate that. And I, I didn't know what to say. Cause you know, he'd said I was wearing the hell out of everybody in the group. And he said, I was reading in the book of Isaiah this morning. And he said in there, it's time to take the chains from around your neck and move on. Mm. This time you were moving on. He said, I'll see you. I got to go and hung up. <sighs> Evan, I was so mad. I could have put <laughs> a nail into, I was, so mad. <laughs> I was, furious at this guy. It's Saturday morning. He's called me up. He's messed me up. And I was infuriated. Well, I had time to calm down and I thought about it for a minute. And then I thought, you know what? James loves me enough to tell me the truth. Mm. The following Wednesday morning, I go into Dave's office and we have a big conference table in there. And he's about five, six, weighs about 150 pounds. This is Ramsey now. No, no, no. James Ryle. Oh, okay. James. Okay. Sorry. I'm six, four, weigh two forty. I'm a big guy. I walk around the table. He thinks I'm going to hit him. I lean down and I hug him. Mm-hmm. I look down, tears running down his eyes. Mm-hmm. I said, thank you, man. I needed that. Mm-hmm. It changed my life. See, if we're not in community, if we don't have people around us on an ongoing basis, who's going to tell us those things? See, because another person didn't earn the right to tell me that he has spent a decade with me. He had earned the right to look at me and shake me metaphorically and say, it's time to move on. See, we need people in our lives that will do that. It's people that really care about you that will do that. That's the only reason I was able to work through this. If I was alone in isolation, because isolation is the enemy to excellence, if you really want your life to change, you've got to surround yourself with quality people that's going to be there for you when you need them. I'm wondering when, when, so hitting the guy in the car, in the car accident, was it more guilt or more shame? I mean, cause I mean, like it seemed, you know, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you know, guilt is about something we've done. Shame is about feeling bad about who we are. I mean, was it because you weren't culpable? I mean, what was what was it that was eating you up? Yeah. It and, was, and, 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 and sort of sent you in a tailspin. It's the guilt. Yeah, it's the guilt. It, it's just thinking, could I have done something? Could I have stopped quicker? Could have I avoided it? See, this was somebody's. Let me go on and finish telling you the rest of the story. So this guy was 77 years old. He was from the Philippines. His name was Enrique. And so that was in 2001. Well, I called my attorney on Monday and I said, uh, excuse me, I called my attorney on Thursday. It happened on Wednesday. And he said, whatever you do, don't call the family. Don't approach them. Don't go around them. Don't do anything. He said, because anything you say can and will be used. (laughs) Do not go around these people. Well, Scott, I couldn't do that. I mean, how in the world am I going to do that? So mm-hmm. I immediately found out who they were. Ironically enough, my physician is from the Philippines and they were good friends. My physician and this gentleman were friends. Mm. He had been my doctor for 30 years and he called him, called the family and said, Hey, these, this is a good guy. They're good people. So I asked my physician, I said, can I have uh, their name and phone number? Cause I want to call them. So I called, I got his daughter and he and she said, uh, my mom can't talk. Uh, she, you know, and I said, Hey, I get it totally. I, I totally get it. I just want you to know how sorry I am. 
And they said, listen, we've talked to other people. They said, you know, my dad ran out in front of you and I get it. So I said, well, I just want to give my condolences. I just want you to know how sorry I am and I apologize and I'm sorry. She said, no problem. I understand. I get it. Fast forward 2006, five years later, my dad gets cancer. He's got lung cancer. And so he's in the hospital last two weeks of his life. He's in ICU. So I'm over sitting with my dad and I say, hey, I'm going to go get lunch. My mom's in the room. I go get lunch. An hour later, I come back and my mom's in a frantic. And I said, what, what's going on? I mean, like, what happened? She said, nothing. I said, bull, what, what mm. is going on? She said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but uh, if you're going to force me to, I will. And these are glass walls. And she points out and she says, you see that young lady? And I said, yeah. Said, She's uh, your dad's nurse. And I said, yeah, I know. And when you left for lunch, she came in and we were talking and she was telling me how sorry she was that we were going to lose your dad. And she said she lost her dad five years ago. Oh. And her dad was the one you ran over. <sighs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We'd never met in person. And I said, did you tell her? She said, no, I couldn't bring myself to tell her. She was just telling me how her dad was run over. Mm. How... Here's the irony of this story. Like she took care of my dad, right? We live in the same community and she didn't even know it. See, we never know the circumstances. We never know what's going to come around. That's the reason we've got to take life each and every day at face value. And we've got to do the best we can I don't want to bring the room down, but I just want to encourage your listeners today to really think through every scenario, every circumstance that happens, because we never know how it's going to come back to us. Hmm. That's really powerful. I mean, and, and how much do you think, I mean, you obviously coach a lot of people and have coached a lot of people in business and professional life to success. How much do you think people are inhibited by just not being able to take um, to take inventory, to actually look at reality for what it is, right? I mean, it, 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 just kind of avoiding. I mean, I mean, you, it sounds like you took a long, hard look at what was really going on. Like, then that's what seemed to to turn you around, like facing reality on its own terms. Great question, Scott. I ask clients every day, "What is it that you know that you're lying to yourself about?" Mm. See, historically, we know the answers. We just don't want to confront it. And I've learned years ago that the best way to do life is to be honest, to answer the tough questions. Don't say, I don't know to something that we really know about. We inevitably kick the can down the road. Procrastination is our biggest enemy because we'll deal with it tomorrow. And tomorrow it's always more difficult than today. And so whatever we've got to deal with, let's eat the ugly frog first, right? Let's deal with it now. Let's get it out of the way. And it's much easier. And I'm big advocate on being proactive, not reactive. Proactive always gets you further than reactive. Reactive always costs you twice as much, regardless of what it is. And so I just want to encourage your listeners today to think through that in their personal life. And if you've got a tough family situation, you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it today. It's not going to get any better over time. Same way within business, you know, deal with the difficult things right up front. Don't lie to yourself because it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Hmm. 
Yeah, I love what Tony Robbins says about, you know, when you're proactive, you're you're in control. When you're right. reactive, you lose. Every and, time. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're, you know, at the core, it's all about pain points, right? Avoiding pain. So when I associate reactive with pain and losing, it's like, no, no, I want to do that. So I need to hurry up and get proactive and make this work. But, but finish the story, Aaron, because I thought that's where you're going. So did you... Tell us about the moment with the nurse. I assume it was you that told her and not your mom. We, did, we didn't tell her. We didn't tell her. Oh, we you never didn't did. tell her? No, we didn't oh, tell her. Oh, wow. We were afraid it would be too painful for her. Oh, so we, wow. We never, yeah. And so we just let it lie and uh, we let it move on. Um, we, we didn't tell her. Mm. And I mean, she saw the last name, so I don't. Do you think she may have known? Possibly might have known. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Mm. She never thing about it, and we didn't either. Mm. And a couple of days later, my dad passed away, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the, so that was in two thousand six. Mm. The whole point of the story is, is that we've got to be reflective. We, we've got to look back and see what the lessons learned. Right? A lot of people go through travesties. They go through things that are difficult in their life and they really don't learn anything from it. And oftentimes we repeat, right? Mm-hmm. You repeat the class. I don't want to repeat the class, right? I want to learn the lesson and I want to take that to heart. See, what I learned out of this is, is I need to be a giver, not a taker. See, I was a taker. Early on, I was arrogant, condescending. I was 18 years old. I was very poor when I started my first business. And I was able to retire at 27. So I thought I was somebody. Mm. Right? And so when you start reading your own press clippings, uh, the world has its way of humbling you. It has its way of bringing you down a notch. And so what this accident allowed me to do was to take this evaluation and say, hey, that could have been me just as easily. I could have stepped off a curb in Nashville and been hit myself. And then what legacy am I going to leave? What lesson is it that I can learn from this? And so what it did was is help me focus on others. And that's what we focus on today. We're no saint. We've got problems in our lives. I got carnal issues that I have to deal with. There's so many things that I still need to work on. But what I have found out is, is that when we do look outward and we're the giver and not the taker, it opens up so many doors. There's so many more people that want to be around you because you're the person that's bringing the light mm. to them. You're not the person that's the vacuum and sucking the air out of the room. You're the person that's going, hey, let me connect you. Let me help you. Let me edify you. Let me encourage you. Let me give you this person that can take you to where you need to be. Let me coach you. Let me help you. And then all of a sudden, that natural reciprocity comes back 10x. Mm. And so that's what we're trying to teach people today, Evan. You say that you, you still have these carnal things and these things that you're struggling against. Like, what are the things that that, um, that you struggle with most? I mean, what are the things that ego. you find challenging? Ego. Ego. ego and pride. Yeah, because I've been fortunate to have a little bit of success and connected to a few people. And I have to fight it every day, Scott, because sometimes I'll drop names or I'll tell stories that positioned me to look like I'm somebody. Alan Lindsay is one of my best friends for 45 years and we've been very, very close. And years ago uh, he called me and he said, Hey, let's go to lunch today. And I said, let's go. It was nothing unusual for us to go to lunch. We live here in the same town. We've been friends. Uh, We go to church together. We get to lunch and uh, we finish our lunch. He said, I got something I want to talk to you about. And I said, okay, what is it? 
He said, I heard you tell a guy at church the other day that you've been all over South America fishing. And I said, I have. He goes, no, you hadn't. He said, you've been down there twice. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you were leading the guy to believe you were this world traveler and you travel all over the Orinoco and the Toma River in the Amazon and you fly into Caracas and then you go down to Colombia. You were leading this guy to believe that this was like an annual event. And I said, well, I have been down there twice. He said, that's what you needed to say. You embellish the story. Mm. The reason that you did that is because you wanted that guy to think more highly of you than you really are. Really made a lasting impression on me. And I thought, you know, I do that. Mm. Names. I tell about different businesses I've owned. I'll embellish the story to make it interesting. Right. And it's not accurate. It's not the truth. Mm. He said, people, if they ever believe that you're embellishing stories, it takes a lifetime to build a character and a reputation. One situation can tear it down. And he said, you needed to say, I've been to South America twice, not I go down there a lot. And so it just reminded me that what we say, people listen to, and I have to fight ego and pride. Ryan Holiday wrote a great book called Ego is the Enemy. And for those that haven't read it, I suggest that you do so. And I have to keep that in check, Scott, on a regular basis. And I need people in my life to call me out on that so that I don't embellish these stories and make myself bigger than I am. That's beautiful that you're able to share that too, that you're able to be candid about your own frailty. I mean, your own, you, you, the own limits of your own, you know, finite, fragile nature. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean that 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 capacity has that come through these kind of relationships you've you've been around. I mean, is that is that the is that kind of the because I think most people are not able to. You were pretty quickly able to just name some things. They're kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, they're they're pretty. Um, you know, they kind of implicate you in 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 the frailty and fragility of the human condition. I mean. How how have you been? What what has worked in your life that's been able to get you to the point where you could talk candidly like that? Yeah, to be honest with you, it happened starting 21 years ago uh, when I started getting in mastermind groups, surrounding myself with other quality people. We all live behind this mask. We all live with a facade, and we can't get better when we're living behind a facade. Mm. The only way that you're going to get better is to be genuine, transparent, and authentic. And you let the facade down and you say, hey, these are areas that I'm strong in. These are my superpowers and I'm good here. But this is the kryptonite. These are the blind spots. These are the places that I really need assistance on. Because other people see you differently than you see yourself. And we have to really take evaluation of that. And I even send out notes and letters to people that know me well. And I'll ask them very specific questions. How do you see me treating my wife, my children? How do you see me treating my colleagues? Do you hear anything in my voice that shows a sense of condescending or arrogance? And you'll be surprised at the answers you get back. And if it's people that really care about you, they'll say like my buddy Alan Lindsay did, it's like, hey, you embellish this and that's wrong. And so I want to get better, Scott. I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to live a facade. I want to be genuine and authentic. And we're all a bunch of knuckleheads. We've all got issues going on to some degree. And we all need each other, right? I may be strong in one area. My spiritual giftedness is encouragement. But I have other areas in my life that I'm blinded to, 
right? I can be condescending. I can be arrogant. I can be very prideful. And I need people around me to prop me up, to help me until I can work through that. Yeah, I, Aaron, you and I have talked off air about uh, things you were alluding to, Scott, like the, the really it's the self-awareness that you're showing, Aaron, of just like clear self-awareness of just like, yep, I can see this. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the benefits of a mastermind, because we all know we can't see the, the label when we're inside the bottle and we're all inside our own bottles. So, right. but there's a huge, like there's a Grand Canyon, if you would, between self-awareness and then actually growing and actually changing. Um, that's why for a, a lot of people, and you, you've known them, Aaron, the, the, the classic seminar junkie, right? Like, I don't want to actually change my behavior. I'll just go to another seminar and get the high, right? And then, oh, no, it's, that's too much work. Let me just go to another seminar, get the high, get the high, get the high, get the high. I tell people all the time, you don't need any more information. You need more execution. Yes. Right? Let's just take the books that you've read and let's implement. People call me all the time because we've scaled masterminds. How did you do that? And I'll say, they'll say, I'm not having any luck doing that. And I'll start asking them questions and I'll ask a series of questions. Well, I didn't do that. Well, I haven't done that. I said, you've got a bunch of wisdom. People tell me all the time that knowledge is power. No, it's not. It's the execution of the knowledge that's power. And that's where we're lacking, right? It's the execution. It's the consistency, right? The rest of it is useless if there's no execution. Mm -hmm. What are, so, what are things that you consistently hear when people are saying that to you, when they call you, right? Because you scaled your mastermind. If you were going to say, like, what are the common, two or three most common things where they say, where you ask them questions? I mean, what are the most common um, points thing, people are stuck? That's a, great, that's a great question, Scott. Here's the thing that people do. They'll do something for about six weeks. And I coach people all the time and I teach them consistency is the number one asset that you've got. If you don't have consistency in what you're doing, you're not going to be successful. And it's like, I told you before we started this interview, how many interviews I've done. I get tired. I get wore out. I mean, but I want to leave everything on the field. I don't want one drop left in the towel. I want to squeeze every dead gum drop out of the towel and people get lazy. They're like, well, I did that for six weeks and I didn't get the response back. I said, I wear shirts longer than six weeks. I mean, that is insane that you're not willing to do this consistently over and over because you have to build a critical mass. You have to get momentum in business. I don't care. I've owned 14 businesses over the past 42 years. And it takes grit, determination, perseverance, and consistency, whether you feel like it or not. I don't care if you feel like it or not. You have to do it every single day day. And then you wake up one day and you go, man, I'm getting a little momentum here. People are starting to see me a little bit. Facebook lives. I've done hundreds, if not thousands of those people say, don't you get tired? Yes, I get tired. Nobody gets tired. I get tired of doing interviews. I get tired of reading books. I get tired. Everybody gets tired, right? We're human. But I know in order to be successful, it takes that determination. We have to have a content calendar. Every day I get up, I know what I'm going to be doing, right? You just don't get up every single day and think, I did this for six weeks and it didn't work, so I quit. Now we go to the next thing. See, what happens is, is now we're an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm -hmm. And the success happens when you're an inch wide and a mile deep. Now we're talking, right? And so if you'll do that consistently, listen, you can be very, very successful. But people just don't want to put in the reps. I can go to the gym and look at that barbell and it does no good until I pick it up and do about a million reps. <laughs> it's the same way in everything that we do in business. 
And so I get the same question. How can I get there faster? There's no shortcuts. There's no silver lining. There's no silver bullet. This is the things that you do and you have to do them consistently in order to be successful. So I, I want to circle back, Aaron, uh, real quick. You mentioned um, that there were some lessons that you didn't want to repeat the lesson. So from your, you know, we all have the same Grand Canyon, right? So from our Grand Canyon of self-awareness to execution to actually transforming and shifting, uh, what lesson has taken you the longest to learn? What, what have you had to go round and round on the mountain about? Yeah, the thing I, Scott asked me that earlier indirectly, but the, the ego and the pride thing is, is the demon mm. because it feels good. You know, I'll be honest with you. Let me just, so I'm being honest, I'll just lay it out here. So recently Robin and I went over to the Opperland hotel and uh, it's a beautiful hotel here in Nashville. And it we is. Like to go yeah. We'll go out there, you know, and get a room and just, it's 15 minutes from here. We'll go over there and just stay the weekend. And so we were out there and uh, I had my phone and I was trying to get our picture. It was a real pretty setting. And I threw the, and this guy walked by, I don't know who he was. This guy walked by and he goes, sir, would you like for me to take that picture for you? And I said, uh, oh wow. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. I gave him my phone and he stepped back and he took the picture and he handed it back. And I said, Hey, thank you. He goes, by the way, he said, I follow everything you do. I watch, you know, your videos. I love what you do. I just want you to know I'm a fan. And I, I said, well, 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 thank you. And he turned around and walked off. And Robin goes, boy, that was weird. And I said, that was great. <laughs> and she said, uh, that was just so weird. And I thought, wow, that felt really better than it should have felt. Hmm. This, past, uh, this past summer, I took the whole family. We went out to Estes Park. Well, wait, wait, wait. Why, why, why do you say, because I, I have similar... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Let me that. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, I want to make sure. I'm I'm okay. Let me finish the story. Okay. And so we go to Estes Park out in Colorado, I take all my grandkids, take my kids, and we all get out. We have two SUVs. We get out of the SUVs, and there's this sign that says, Welcome to Estes Park. You know, it's beautiful out there if you've ever been. But anyway, so we go and we're we're gonna get our picture taken. And there's this little kid walks by, you know, teenager and we all get over there in front of the sign. We take the picture. And so we're starting back to the car and there's this guy that's walking up and he goes, Aaron Walker. And I, I look and I went, what? He went, man, I follow all your videos. I love what you do. I listen to all your podcasts. I love what you do. And I went, wow. I hope my kids heard that. You know, I go back and I get in the car and again, I feel that way. I'm feeling like, pride, right? I puff up. I'm, I'm at the side of the interstate. We're taking a picture and some random guy get home happens again at the post office. This guy goes, Hey, are you Aaron Walker? I've watched all your stuff, read your book and all that. So I go to my accountability group. I meet with every Friday morning, six o'clock. There's three guys. I've been doing that almost 30 years. We meet every Friday morning and I confess to them that this really has puffed my ego up. Right. Like, I think I'm somebody I've been to Opperland hotel, Estes park, the post office here. People are, ah, I see your stuff. I know who you are. And I said, that really feels way better than it should. Right. Because I don't think that we should admire ourselves that much. I think we need to point it back. I'm Christian by faith. And I think we've got to say, Hey, 
I want God's name to be glorified as a result of this. I don't want to be that guy that thinks I'm the stud. I'm recognized on the interstate. I'm recognized in the hotels, the post office, because Scott asked me the question, what's your biggest demon? It's ego. It's pride. And all those things do is fuel it even more. Walk through the airport. Somebody hears my voice because it's so Southern. Hey, I listened to your podcast. I love what you're doing. See, and you got to be careful. And all I'm saying is, is these guys, my dad told me something one time that was really powerful. He said, son, as you grow in popularity, you be really careful because the people that you pass going up that ladder, if the top rung breaks, you're going to pass those same people coming back down. (laughs) And he said, you need to really be careful. And so I keep having to try to deflect because it makes me feel better than it should. Mm. So those are my demons. It's ego and pride. Mm. Mm. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you're, is that you have, if your identity is rooted in healthy things, you're, you're not going to get, it's not going to feel like a shot of heroin or something for someone to say, Oh my gosh, you're great. I follow your stuff. But if you, if you're rooted, it, 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 it sounds like you're saying it's almost like when you have this ego, shit, it's like a black, it's like a black hole sucking. It is, it is a black hole. And I don't want my identity tied up into those temporal things where moth and rust destroy, right? I want my identity tied up into who I am. I don't want it tied up into possessions or titles because if you lose either one of those, then you're going to say I'm worthless. I'm nobody. Mm -hmm. When we first got on here and I said, Hey, tell me about yourself. And you said, Oh, I'm just a podcast host. Well, see, that's a big deal. And I don't want it to be demeaned. Like you are a very important person and you need to hold yourself in a regard of, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do right? But that's not my identity. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this. I'm trying to say, hey, I do these things, but it's not all my identity. Because when you lose those things, that's what puts people in a spiral. That's what people commit suicide over. This is why people jump off bridges is because they lost their job, they lost their title, and now their identity just went out the window. And I'm just trying to be careful with that. Scripture talks about uh, pride goes before the fall and humility is something that we should live in. Now, I, I so appreciate you sharing that because from someone on the outside, who's a few years younger, same hairstyle, but a few years younger, you know, to me, I think there's this, uh, one of the lies we always tell ourselves, right. is like somehow the, the magic, somehow age is going to magically transform something, right? Like, well, when I get to be that age, it's not going to be an issue. And it has nothing to do with it. Like uh-huh. Early on with my young adults, they're teens now, but we always told them it, was, it wasn't an age thing. Like when you're this old, you can do this. It was always like a wisdom level. We talk about wisdom and maturity. When you're wise enough, you can do that. And if you may be 18 when you're wise enough, you may be 15 when you're wise enough. But right. just right. for me, for you, it's like, okay, you're talking about, hey, I'm 60 years old and I'm still right? This is a still an area of, of growth for me is so refreshing of saying, wow, okay, so it's not a, hey, when I get to this magic age level, once I have grandkids, right, then it'll all, right, it'll, it'll all end. So again, your, your self-awareness and transparency, so refreshing, Aaron. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I was over at my mom's. We built my mom a house on our property. So she lives next door and we connected the houses with a breezeway. She's 86 years old and we get to see her every day and get to go over and have dinner. And we were talking just the other day about two things related to what you just said. One is, is all of her children now are senior adults 
And she was talking about my older brother and she said, I'm worried about this. And I said, mom, what age is it when you quit worrying about your children? (laughs) And it doesn't happen. Same thing. She was talking about, she couldn't eat this roll. And I said, why? She said, I've gained a couple pounds. And I said, mom, you're 86. She said, I still care about what I look like. Mm. You'll want to be in shape. And, uh, it's important to me and you never get to an age where you think, Hey, it won't be important anymore. Yeah. I think about it this way, Evan, if I didn't know how old I was, how old would I be? Mm. And to be honest with you, I feel like I'm in my mid thirties, early forties. If I didn't physically know, I've got a few more ailments now because of my age. But the truth is, is that I think that's, customary for people that are self-aware that are trying to propel themselves to go forward, to always be in a student mindset, to be learning all the time is that you don't want to quit. You don't want to give up. And so you're constantly in a state of progress and learning with great aspirations, never be complacent, but always be content. People get those confused. Mm, And so I'm hammered down. I want to go. I want to grow. I'm a creator developer. I'm not a maintainer manager. That's why I've owned 14 companies. Once they get up and going and I've figured it out, I get bored. And I've either got to blow it up or buy another company or start another company because my personality is a creator developer. We just need to know who we are so that we can live our fullest. Mm. So speaking of that, I, I I love what you said. I always put it as my term was happily discontent of that uh, versus what you were talking about, of, of the contentness and uh, but still wanting to drive. So are you looking to sell off iron sharpens iron and the masterminding? Is that one you're going to yeah. stay on to? How do you how do you balance the, the- we're growing it? We're okay. we're we're, we're going to double the mastermind in the next 12 to 18 months. Woo! So presently we have 20 mastermind groups. We're in nine different countries and we're building the infrastructure because we've created such an amazing framework. People started calling me saying, how in the world are you scaling these masterminds? So we created a product called the mastermind playbook and we're teaching other thought leaders, podcast hosts, coaches. We're teaching people how to do exactly what we're doing. People are having huge success you can generate six figures of income with two mastermind groups. So you're 20 people away from creating a six-figure business with two mastermind groups. And we're teaching people how to do that. We've built a seven-figure business with masterminds, which is unheard of at the price point that we're at. And so we've built the framework. We know the systems, the processes, and we're teaching other people how to do that, all the while growing our business in Iron Sharpens Iron. Mm. I mean, do you think like most people could do a mastermind if they put their mind to it? Or do you think it takes a certain sort of uh, intuition, gift, skill set? Most people would be an inaccurate statement. I think a lot more people could do it than they give themselves credit for. And let me explain why. There's one sole reason. People get group coaching and masterminds confused. Group coaching is one to many. You feel like you've got to answer the questions. You've got to have the experience. Leading masterminds is having a great framework and you're a facilitator. You gather the people together. Everyone contributes equally. So for that reason, a lot more people could do these than give themselves credit because they're confusing group coaching with mastermind facilitation. 
That's really that's really that's really interesting. That that I think that distinction is probably lost on a lot of people. Yeah, I always for, for someone who, who's done masterminds and understand it's interesting. You ask a hundred people what the word mastermind means, and you get a hundred different answers. On yeah. oh yeah, that's just group coaching. Oh no, that's this, that's this. So yeah. so let me ask you, Aaron, before we wrap, give, give us give us your definition of a yeah. It's easy. It's easy. It's 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 peers. It's it's people. It's your own board of directors. These are unbiased, trusted advisors. These are people that don't have anything to gain or lose as a result of what they tell you. Why would they not tell you the truth, right? Because they have no dog in the hunt. You never want to be in a mastermind with a family member or a business colleague. Mm-hmm. They're biased. Mm-hmm. They can't help but be biased. And so we never allow family members or colleagues or partnership to be in the same group. Mm-hmm. And so we want people that I can go, Hey, Scott, here's the deal. And I'll tell you because it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to gain or lose as a result of what I tell you. See, that's the kind of advice I want. I want people to be honest with me. I want them to tell me the truth. I don't want them to pander me. I don't want them to make me feel good. See, no disrespect to people that are in my groups. My job is not for you to like me. My job is to make you better. And so people that are family members or business colleagues, they, they have to be biased mm. and they're not going to be straight up with you. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's just your own personal board of directors. It's a very simple definition. Got it. Got it. And as we wrap, because I, I could learn, laugh, and love with you 24-7, Aaron Walker, that is for sure. But mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back real quick because we, we obviously we covered some some tremendous, tremendous things, but I kind of want to go back. You, you, you mentioned that really jumped out to me on the consistency side, right? And this, yeah, I tried it, it didn't work. Uh, um, but for those, right, like Scott alluded to, there's a lot of people in North America, right, that are again, it went from bad to worse, right, and are in this, and I think it's compounded now with Christmas, right? Like it's Christmas, we're supposed to be cheerful, and everybody's kind of. I just put a post out recently. I put, hey, 2021 starts today. You know, yeah. instead of this, oh, we'll just wait till January and just turn life off, right? But for those people that are in this, hey, it's Christmas, I don't really have a lot to celebrate, I'm unsure about the future, you know, kind of in these pseudo dark places, what what could you help them? What What's one thing they could do consistently that would bring them out of this? Because again, you've crawled out of it yourself. So just, just share that one thing that they could do consistently, like every day without a doubt, knowing that that's going to make their life better. Yeah. A friend of mine named Seth Bueckley wrote a book called Ambition, and it's living a life with gratitude. Even when you're in a dark situation, let me give you an example. And this revolves and requires finances to do what I'm telling you, but it doesn't have to. Oh, okay. So every Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, I hate shopping. I loathe going to the mall to shop. My wife knows it. So years ago, I started watching the grandchildren. And so one day, six years ago, when they all came to the house, they said, Big A, what are we going to do today? And I thought about it for a minute. I said, we're going to go bless a lot of people, get in the car. So they got in the car, all, you know, four grandkids at that time. I have five now. We got in the car and we went to Waffle House. And I motioned for the waitress to come over, you know, and we ordered our food. And I said, I want you to bring me every check in here anonymously, just be quiet. Just bring me every check. So brought us the check and the grandkids loved it. I said, shh, you can't, you can't tell anybody. Like if you get the notoriety for this, it takes away everything. We give people anonymously. 
So when we left there and they were loving it, they were like, oh, that was so cool. You know, and we gave the waitress a bunch of money and said, hey, go get whatever you need for your kids for Christmas. And we left there and I'm getting to a point. So be patient for a moment. So we go to Walmart, we get two buggies and we load it up with toys and gifts and cookies. We go to the nursing home, see all the senior adults. We go to the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, handing out toys. We go and buy dozens and dozens of of, uh, donuts and we go to the hospitals. We go to the waiting rooms, hand it out to people. Everybody, who are y'all? Why y'all doing this? We're saying we, we call this gratitude day. Like, why do you call it gratitude day? Because I'm very grateful. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful because I'm alive and I can do this. So we've done that every Black Friday for six years now. It started a movement. We have people all over the world doing this now. People in our community are taking their kids and grandkids and they're doing ridiculous stuff all over. You don't have to do that with money, but if you're in a dark spot right now, why don't you go to your neighbor? Why don't you go to a family member and say, hey, why don't y'all go out to dinner tonight? I'm going to clean your house. And I'm going to watch your kids and I'm going to wash your car and I'm going to do whatever you need. See, because when we take our focus off of ourself, we don't have time to think about all the things that we don't, right? Because we're too busy doing things for other people. A lot of people are listening to this saying, yeah, it's not that easy. You know, it is that easy. It really is that easy to go out and take your focus off yourself. You'll be amazed at the mindset shift that you'll have. You'll be amazed at how your emotions will change when you're doing something kind for other people. This past uh, um, Gratitude Day, we went in, did the same thing in the same Waffle House. All the people know us in there now, the waitresses and the same ladies. Kathy's her name's been waiting on us. There was a gentleman at the register paying. And I, I went up, my granddaughter goes, Big A, what, what's he doing up there? And so I went up and I put my arm around him and I said, hey, I said, man, we, we got you. He said, no, let me do this. And I said, no, we've, we've already got you. He said, I know, I didn't know who it was, but he said, another guy come in and I'm paying for his. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, it's contagious. And everywhere we go, we see that. Everywhere people are going, go through Chick-fil-A paying. We went through, we went through all the fast food restaurants and gave the people at the window $50 a gift certificate said, Hey, go get whatever you want at Kroger. Here's a Walmart gift certificate. People were circling back around in the line when we were paying for meals and they were paying for the people behind them. And I said, see, we just got to get our minds off ourselves, Evan. And when we get our minds off ourselves, things are going to change for you during Christmas. Mm. Mm. I'm standing ovation. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Learning, laughing, loving with Scott Kent Jones and Big A, Aaron Walker. Aaron, thank you so, 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 so much. Again, you, the, the blessings are going to flow, and I know there's a tremendous growth that's going to come from this podcast. So thank you again, and a very Merry Christmas to everyone. See you, buddy. Thanks, Aaron. See you, Scott. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of learning, laughing, and loving with Evan Money and Scott Jones. If you like what you've heard here, please do something for us. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give us a rating. Tell people. Share it on social media. If you found something you love here, share the love and goodness with the world. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well. <laughs>